For the love of the pod, what's up, everybody, and welcome in to our special NBA podcast. Along with Chris Black, I'm Jonathan Hood. Don't forget to follow Chris on Instagram at cbleck and me at igjhood and the station at ESPN underscore Chicago. Well, of course, there's no NBA games because of postponements, as you well know, with COVID-19. But that doesn't mean there's not NBA news, especially what's going on with the Chicago Bulls. You've asked for it. You've called me, you've called Chris, you put it on social media, now it's happening. Uh, Fire guard packs is actually a thing, as there's going to be a new man in place. Chicago Bulls, Arturis Karnasovis, Chris, the new man in place. Karnasovis, I think you nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, that's who it is, the new man in place. Well, well, I will give you the text message, my friend, of what an executive told me about Arturis Karnasovis. Okay. And uh, tell me if this makes sense to you. It says, strong resume, worked in the league office for a number of years before joining Denver, responsible for the Jokic, Nurkic, and Murray draft picks, strong international background, well-connected throughout the NBA, mild-mannered, I would pick him. This was, this was yesterday before the official news came down. Yeah, before the announcement. Yeah, I think that's all fair. And I think everything that we've heard from uh, the different sources around the league is that this is kind of exactly who he is. Um, Patient. um, He makes uh, level-headed moves. Uh, You're not going to see anything flashy. Uh, You're going to see good hard work that then hopefully produces a team of young talent that grows together who then uh, succeeds. So I think there's a lot to kind of look at with this, Jonathan. And uh, depending on how much time we have, I, I broke down a, uh, a one sheet here of the good, the bad, and then the in-between of this hire of Karnasovis for the Chicago Bulls. Because obviously there are so many different layers here. And on the individual himself, if we're only looking at that, obviously the, the Denver Nuggets – are one of the young, up-and-coming, fun teams in the NBA. He's been the GM of the the team since 2013. The problem on the flip side of that is the Denver Nuggets have only made the playoffs once in that time frame. And it was last year getting to the conference semifinals. They won 54 games. But outside of that, they have yet to qualify for the playoffs in Karnasovic's run as GM with the Denver Nuggets. So, like, if you want to point to, yeah, he drafts well, I think you can point to some misses within there as well, which we can get into. But to me, going back to the original thought, not flashy. He drafts well, builds a team from within, paying his own players, and then can he get that team to the next level? Because I think we can all look at Denver and say, no matter how improved they've been since uh, comparing them to the past, they were not a team that was going to win the Western Conference. And why is that? Because they don't have the top-line star to kind of carry the team to the next level. Jokic is nice, star in the making, but is he a top five, top ten player in the league? I think it's debatable. And I think that's where, as Bulls fans look at this, the way this is all going to kind of play out is, to me, this hire is getting the Bulls back to where the Bulls were in like the early 2010s when they were hitting on draft picks, building a young core, competitive team. But can this group now in this new direction get the Bulls to that elevated level of elite basketball in the NBA? 
I guess two things I'm thinking about with Karnasovis. One thing is, is that this is not one of these Bulls cronies. And you know what I'm talking about, like yeah. shuff- yeah. reshuffling the deck, putting Doug Collins in that spot, putting some some longtime scout in that position as the general manager or, or head of basketball operations. That's one thing. The other thing is, is I like that he's an independent thinker because he breaks the mold of what the bulls were this is melting the ice age by having this and i have no idea if this works or not but i do like the idea that it's something different because you knew the inconsistencies of the bulls under paxson especially these draft picks that have not really were able to do much for the bulls i mean you look at that draft picks over the last about 10 years now who is the ultimate all-star besides jimmy butler on here where you can point and say that's going to be a cornerstone guy so if nothing else looking at his resume it it tells me that and I've, I've texted a, f- a few people and talked to a few people about him that he's a good basketball guy, but not in the way of he's just a good old basketball guy. You know what I mean yeah, by right. it, right? Yeah. Like a, a guy yeah. that's been around, he'll buy your beer, and he's just chummy, and he's great on the golf course. The guy does have the international uh, stroke, and he is respected by a lot of people around basketball circles. So I like the idea that it's something new. It's okay for something new, especially yeah. as how stagnant the Bulls have been for so long. Yeah, you're right. And the the old way of things of like he's a good good old basketball guy and then comparing that to he's a good basketball guy who did things with the Houston Rockets in the past. He's doing things with the Nuggets now. He did things in the league office. He's touching many different uh avenues to gather resources and experience. And I think that's all positive because like if you look at the Nuggets recent track record and you're right. Uh, Jonathan, it is important that they are going outside the the comfortable setting of the Advocate Center for this hire because, like, what we've seen so many times in the past is that it's just more of the same status quo, and, and, and that's why the Bulls have gotten to this point. And I think that's where we can also have the conversation about did they interview the right candidates? Did they interview the best of the best candidates? Did they interview enough minority candidates? And was their search too narrow? And did they find the one guy outside of their comfortable realm to then feel the most comfortable and like their like-minded thought process? I think that's a big storyline in all this as well. It also tells me, like, Karnasovis and his next hire, the person that he's going to be working with in the front office, that will also tell a story and who his next head coach is going to be. Now, he, now all those question marks either lie on his desk or on the desk of Michael Reinsdorf and John Paxson. And the really big, looming, large, flashing light issue that I have is just wondering like, how much stroke does Paxson have now? Because just because he's not in the in the spot in the chair in name, Chris, it doesn't necessarily mean that he won't have a say. Like the, we have to understand, like Paxson replaced his um, successor. He was part of that process. Yes, you're going to let me go, or you're going to let you're going to replace me, but I have to be the one to try to find my replacement. And I think that Gar has something to do with that as well. It'll make it. I know that the Bulls make it seem like he was never part of the process, but they, you know, they all are in one way, shape, or form. And so that's the thing that's also scary to me that Karnasovas could be in this position, have a general manager next to him, 
Like, but will he have an opportunity to hire Kenny Atkinson? Will he be able to hire the coach that he wants if it is Atkinson? Or does Pax and Michael Reinsdorf have a say? That's my question. Yeah, no, and it, it's a really good question to ask, too, because, you know, look at the way this all played out. I described on the air about a month ago that this whole Bulls situation is very unusual. It, it's very unusual that we were being um, – told behind the scenes that the person doing the job who is failing at doing the job was going to be quote kicked upstairs. So Mm -hmm. promoted with the job that he's done, which he was doing a poor job at. And the way I described it on the air was this is unusual in pro sports. And again, it is unusual because Casey Johnson reported it today that back in November, John Paxson went to ownership and gave them the idea that it's about time that they move on off of him and he will take a different role with the organization, but you should probably start preparing to find someone else to run the basketball operations. In what other organization in pro sports do the ownership uh, group, whoever that is, basically asleep at the wheel, just happy to be uh, cashing checks because uh, fans are spending their hard-earned money for the, for the season tickets and coming to your arena, just asleep at the wheel where the general manager or the head of basketball operations has to come knock on the door and say, hey, by the way, I'm not doing a good job. You should probably find my replacement. When does that ever happen in pro sports? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Like, how strange is this whole situation? And on top of it, okay, fine, they're going to go that route. He's he's staying on. Now, I I understand Joel Cowley has been out in the Sun-Times reporting it. Others have reported it, too. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN.com reported it. John Paxson is not going to be involved with what Karnasovic is trying to accomplish with this basketball team. He will be there uh, somewhere within the organization uh, continuing to get paid. Uh, mainly because of what he did as a player and as a good lieutenant for Jerry Reinsdorf. But I don't, I'm not looking at this as I, I think some, uh, we've seen some feedback on social media that some Bulls fans look at it as, I'm afraid that Pax is in the background. I, I'm not really looking at it that way. I think this is going to be a new basketball operation going on. Pax will be there because this is unusual. That's the key word. The way the organization has been ran is unusual. He will be able to stay and do what he's want, want to do. But I think Karin Sobins is going to run the show. And, and Jonathan, it's just a, a weird way that this season has played out, right? And, like, you and I were at the All-Star game. We were at All-Star weekend here in mm-hmm. Chicago. We heard all the rumors behind the scenes. And what was that? That was really the tipping point for all of this. That weekend is the weekend that set all of this in motion. If that weekend didn't take place and the Bulls were not in embarrassment at a national level that weekend, I don't think any of this happens. I think that weekend played a major role into why we're here today. 
I agree with that. I know that there's some that are close to the Bulls that will say that that was not the case, but I believe that that was the beginning of it because remember in October, November, there was there was whispers, but not loud whispers until it was starting to be printed around January, February, around the All-Star weekend. It is embarrassment when you have the entire NBA community uh, come to your city and there is no buzz about your team. That sucks. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's going to be in Indianapolis uh, uh, next season, and there'll be more buzz about the Pacers and the history of the Pacers and that than it is here. If there was no conversation about the Bulls, and if it was, it was negative. It, the, the conversations I had at bars and restaurants around the All-Star weekend was about the Bulls in the past and, like, the legacy of Chicago basketball players. It, you know, that that's what it was. It wasn't about the sad sack organization. But understand why fans would feel this way, though, Chris, when it comes to wondering about John Paxson and Gar Foreman, because people know the history of the loyalty. Now, I, I, now I could say... Karnasovis is going to be his show, and he'll be able to do things his way. But you can understand why a fan would be a little bit hesitant, and it would give pause to that because you, uh, any other organization, the other twenty-nine teams, my God, they'd be like, "You're fired." Simply like Gar, yeah. you are no super scout. We're not sending you to Lithuania, dude. You're out of here. You're gone, John. We're, you'll always be a Chicago Bull, but you can't be in the room for draft night. Right, you can't be yeah. in the room when when we start looking for free agents. When we start bringing free agents in, in here, you have a bad look. You can't be here. You want to roll in Horace Grant? You want to roll in like Tony Kukoc and other oh, Scotty from the past? That's fine, but you can't be in the room. You want to be an ambassador? That's fine, but that doesn't mean that we when we make big decisions, big time decisions for the organization, you can't be here. Because of everything that people have told us over the years, Chris, that when free agents come here, you, you know, B-plus free agents, C-plus free agents, it's almost like they have to settle versus being sold by Paxson and Gar. They don't sell anything. You heard what Cowley said on, on several shows. It's like he yeah. said it was like going to a used car place and like a used <laughs> car salesman. Like, you know, it's like Gar with the checkered jacket and the white shoes trying to sell you a bad car. Like, so that means you can't believe in a guy. So you can't be in the room when you have to have your best face and you're trying to sell an organization. That you can't, those two can't be around because look what you've had over the last 15 years. Pretty much nothing. Well, and, and you said it right about Gar Foreman. Um, I think you and I have had uh, decent dealings with Gar yeah, throughout I the like, years. But... No, we like, no, Gar and uh, you and I and Gar get along fine. Yeah. You know, the, it's, just, it's just the business is not very good. His business savvy is bad. Well, yeah, and but, but I can also make the argument that I know people who don't have the same type, type of dealings that we have had with them. Uh, and so like, I understand why, like, if you're a Bulls fan listening to this, uh, what's out there about the way players feel about him, I think is a correct way to view it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I think there's definitely a reason why the stigma is out there on the Bulls organization. I think that because we know people who have dealt with these individuals and Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the uh, the way it's come back. You and I have had good uh, relationships with them, but I've heard the other stories. You know, yeah. Well. You know, in, in Jonathan, it's all it's almost the same thing with ownership, right? 
Like Michael Reinsdorf is the one running this. Um, yeah, he he may get this gig right, but Brian Windhorse was on today with Cap on ESPN 1000, and he said to Cap that from what he's heard from candidates is that in the interviewing process, Michael Reinsdorf was suggesting that Jim Boylan should have a role with the organization, if not stay as coach. Like, if you're running the interviews for the head of basketball operations and you're telling whoever it is that you're interviewing that you might have to keep the worst coach in the league, that to me is a problem. I can't have the job then. Sorry. Well, and so and so if you play out the timeline, are you surprised at the names that were listed last Friday who were candidates who immediately pulled their names? Like that would fall in line with the idea that the moment this job came open and the Bulls were searching, like within 24 hours, we saw two or three candidates immediately say either they were being blocked by their team or they were not interested at all. Simon with the Heat, uh, Webster with the Raptors, um, Buchanan with the Pacers. Yeah, uh, and those are good names too. Those are really good names. And so, and that very well could be, because here's the thing, if I'm taking the job, I'm sure in the process, the question is, what do you think of Jim Boylan? <laughs> so at some yeah. point, you got to tell the truth, like, well, I have an, a guy in mind that could be able to work with young talent, uh, or several people that I think are working with young talent at the level of where the Bulls are right now, and like to give that opportunity, you know, and, and yeah. but, you know, that's, yeah, I, I just know that. No matter if Karnasovas is in the job for 25 years or not because of the, the uh, sliding scale from Reinsdorf, the way that, that their clock ticks, dude, I, like, I still need to, at the beginning, from the beginning, like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Like, here's my coach. Here's my coaching staff. We're moving forward. I got to get the best coach possible. I can't wait for it. I'm sure he's got a short list, and he probably knows, like we all know, that Jim Borland's a boob. You can't, I mean, come on now. This is not going to, you, COVID-19 or not, you can still make your change if you want to. Because right? yeah. if you had a full season, it's not like the Bulls are going to catch Orlando or whomever at the bottom of the um, of the Eastern Conference. It wasn't happening. No. And and listen, you. I mean, they know. I mean, I would assume guys around the league, smart guys around the league, know exactly who Jim Boylan is. I'm sure there's a short list of candidates that, uh, Karnasovas already has in mind that he will be taking a look at. I, I find it very unlikely. Um, I had a league source tell me uh, a few weeks ago that uh, this is like right before the pandemic hit. So like the games are still going on. And the source told me, and he would know that uh, the current players on the team have absolutely no use for Jim Boylan. And that uh, quote, if, the Bulls ever hope to land a free agent, it's not going to happen while Jim Boylan's the head coach. So I think people around the league know. Could you give me your list of um, pros and cons for the Karnasovas, some things that he's done draft-wise or free agency? What, what has stood out to you? Yeah, so, so in the draft, um, he's had two really good drafts. And if you really break it down by year, you can point to two specific drafts where he got three starters out, out of the drafts. It was 2014. That was when he got uh, Nikola Jokic in the second round with a 41st pick. And then the Bulls traded Doug McDermott. Uh, for, that's who the Bulls traded for, for Gary Harris and Nurich. 
So you get three starters from the Nuggets out of one draft. That's pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. So then you jump to 2016. Once again, three starters out of the draft, or three contributing players out of a draft. Jamal Murray with the seventh overall uh, pick. Juan Hernandez Gomez, uh, he was 15th overall. And then Malik Beasley, who recently the uh, Nuggets traded to the Timberwolves, he was a contributing player to the Nuggets last season when they were so good as well. So out of two drafts, he really hit home runs with multiple players who were contributors to a really good 54-win Nuggets team. It was two drafts, 2014 and 2016. That's the positive. On the negative side, you know, we saw when we both saw at draft night when the Nuggets in 2018 took Michael Porter, that was a questionable pick. Now, recently, Porter's played well. Injuries have limited his time in the NBA, but he seems like a player with a very high ceiling and at the pick at 14 was kind of a low risk. He just hasn't really contributed much. So if you want to categorize it in a positive or a negative, I think right now Michael Porter is a bit of a negative because he hasn't played enough NBA basketball. If you go to 2017, the Nuggets drafted Donovan Mitchell, who on draft night everyone was saying was going to be the steal of the draft, especially when he slid to 13. They traded him away for Trey Lyles. You know, like, so, so you got to keep that on, 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 on the tip of your, your mind because then if you go down to 2015, they drafted Emmanuel Moutier. He's done absolutely nothing in the league. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then the Nuggets in 2013, I get it that the draft took place before Karnasovas became the full time GM of the group. But in 2013, they drafted Rudy Gobert. 27th in the first round and trade them to Utah too. So, you know, the, the Denver Nuggets would look dramatically different if they had Donovan Mitchell still, they wouldn't be searching for that number one star that they're kind of thirsty for right now, the way the team is kind of constructed and that the way they're probably going to have to spend in free agency at some point. So, I mean, there are certainly positives to go with the negatives. I, I mean, the positive is obviously this group that he has pieced together made the conference semifinals last season. They won 54 games. The negatives, out of all those seasons, six of them, they haven't made the playoffs. A positive out of the group is that he hired Michael Malone, who was a fired coach from the Sacramento Kings. He saw value in a head coach that was fired at his first gig, brought him in, and Michael Malone is one of the best head coaches in the league, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you want to have hope as a Bulls fan, you would assume that someone like Kenny Atkinson – or you would assume that someone who has some skill as a head coach might be a candidate for the Bulls' job. So, I mean, I, I think those are some of the positives and the negatives. Some of the free agent signings were more like smaller free agent signings, so like no one of real impact. I know that they've re-signed their own players and given money to Will Barton and to Jokic, and, and I think they were either just signed Jamal Murray or they're working on a contract with Jamal Murray. So, I mean... Like, they are signing their own players, but they're not going out there and shopping for the top-level free agent. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> the, Bulls, the Bulls are like an episode of Hoarders. Like, you know, it's like the old, you know, purple-haired lady 
that she's been in this home for a long time. And then you have the, the company that comes in and says, okay, we just want to be able to help you just kind of get rid of your stuff so you can live your life again. Cause I can't even get through your living room. And there's, there's Reinsdorf there. The, the purple haired old lady saying, wait, 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 don't touch that. That's my Paxson. Don't, don't, don't touch that. I, I don't know if I could do this today. I like, can we do this tomorrow? <laughs> That's what this is what the Bulls have become. Like Carter Solvis comes in and says, Yeah, I don't like your head coach. No, no, don't, don't don't touch the boiling. Wait, I, I I've had it for so long. I, I can you just put it in a, in the in the keep box? This is this is what this is what we're dealing with here, where the gray haired the purple haired lady Reinsdorf doesn't want to give up the old lamp in the corner, which is John Paxson and Gar Foreman. But and it's like what what are you collecting them for? You know, like because be I've always had them in my life. I've always had them. That's why I, mean, I just oh, I just put I just put them in the the keep box. I just I just can't part with them right now. I can't do it. No. <laughs> can't do it. You know, you know the the worst part about all those ladies on, on the hoarder show is that, uh, and not to get graphic here, but at some point, usually as they're digging through all the crap to throw out, they usually find like dead cats, don't they? Well, that's Felicio. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Denzel Valentine, it is. is it not? Yeah, yeah. It is. That's the you know, cats. like like they're going through the lady's freezer, and then they're like, "What is this in here?" In a Ziploc bag, and she's like, "Oh, I just couldn't part with it." <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you've seen that episode. Oh yeah, oh I've seen them absolutely, absolutely. I I show that to my wife to to make sure that she understands. Like she needs to get her boxes out of here so I can so we can live our life. Um. So so yeah, absolutely. I uh, I just uh, I I was going through step by step the draft that you were talking about because I'm looking at it as you were saying it, and yeah, just like any draft, there's some hits or misses, and I just I just need to know that Karnasovas and the person he's going to work with, and I don't know who that's going to be by the way, um, that they'll be able to have the autonomy they can to make it seem different, and different means several things to me. Different means to be able to hit on the draft and be able to have draft picks that can bear fruit and. The second thing is to be able to look, you know, put a new face on the Bulls in that you don't have to worry about Luol Deng almost dying. You don't have to worry about all the injuries with, with Derrick Rose and how you feel Jordan and Pippen was treated and all this stuff in the past, the Krause or all that stuff, that it's new, it's fresh. It's a big city. You know, uh, we're not Milwaukee yet. You know, if you're the Bulls, you're just like, hey, we're in the Midwest. Don't worry about the weather. Be part of something special. It's almost like you have to do a college-like recruiting to be able to put a new face on the organization. And that that's the thing that counts the most. And no matter who was in that chair, whoever they hired, it's got to be where a free agent, A-list, especially for the 21 free agency. And you know that's the summer of Giannis, right? You want to be able to at least put a face on and say, okay, we got ourselves a B-plus free agent, and now we're working our way up. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and the names for uh, Karnasovas to hire for GM, you know, to me, the short list of names that I would immediately look at interviewing would be Michael Finley, who's with the Mavericks right now. Mm-hmm. Calvin Booth is with the Nuggets, so he has a relationship with Karnasovas already, so look for Calvin Booth as a possible option. I would still try and interview Shane Battier from the Miami Heat. He's their director of analytics. Um, I think that he would be the best possible hire just because 
from what you were referencing, the free agent class of 2021 coming up, someone like Shane Battier has cachet around the league. Shane Battier was a teammate of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, and he was a vital part of being on those Heat teams. He was a vital part of playing with Tracy McGrady. He was a vital part of playing with many different teams and being successful throughout the league. And even though Shane Battier was never like an all-star, he was someone who was pretty famous when it comes to NBA circles. And I think that kind of matters in this day and age to be able to say, hey, it's Shane Battier on the phone and get someone like a Giannis Antetokounmpo or an Anthony Davis to pick up your phone call, I think is a pretty big deal. I would look at Shane Battier. And, you know, the other name that I would I would interview, um, I'm not sure if it would be a, a great fit, but Chauncey Billups was up for many uh, opportunities last summer. I would try and interview Chauncey Billups as well. I know that when he was up for gigs last summer, some of the talk was like he would be the president of basketball operations. But I always find it tough to see a guy who hasn't done it at all kind of step into the top role. But if Chauncey Billups could come in as the GM, Karnasovis already knows what to accomplish as the head of basketball operations. I think that could be an interesting pairing also. So those are four names that I would look at. Finley, Booth, Battier, and Billups. Those are the names I would look at. I want to uh, just put on this our pod here about uh, minority hiring because there is a section of the audience that will just recoil about the conversation about minority hiring. And I'm going to try to make this as clear as possible. When it comes to the NFL and the Rooney Rule or just any hiring practice, when you are of uh, a man of color, speaking of if you're African-American, if you're Asian-American, if you're Latino, if you're a woman, what you want, Chris, is to be able to get an opportunity to get in the door, to have the conversation. See, see, what gets twisted in the conversation always is, oh, so you're saying you got to force a black on me? You say you got to put a woman, you got to have a woman, you got, that's not, that's not what the, the Rooney rule was put in place. The Rooney rule was put in place because, uh, there wasn't enough qualified people of color that was not even getting an interview opportunity. That's what it comes down to. It's, it's not twisting your arm to hire whomever, because as we see here across the sports landscape, there are general managers and owners that will hire who they're comfortable with. And that's fine. But the ultimate thing is to be able to have those guys you mentioned, uh, Calvin Booth, the Michael Finley. Um, I mentioned last night Mark Eversley from the 76ers, uh, a good friend of mine, Malik Rose from the Detroit Pistons, Troy Weaver from Oklahoma City. There are some names there that need, have should have the opportunity to find out if they're qualified for the job. And then, yes, they are all qualified, but should have an opportunity to at least interview. And then from there, you can decide whether or not you want to hire them or not. The idea that you don't pick up the phone and then, you know, you'll have people online and you've seen the same thing I've seen holding up Kenny Williams and holding up BJ Armstrong. Like, okay, those guys have been in positions for a long time, holding up Ozzie Gann. That's great. But in this process, there was not enough of an opportunity for an African-American, a Latin American, Asian American to be able to go through the process. Yeah, some some have turned it down, but there wasn't just one. There was more than a few. At least put put them in front of you, find out if you have share the same ideas, and then you decide what you want to decide. But don't feel like you have to slam the door on a minority. Don't even pick up the phone and call them or call his, him or her because you're not comfortable. That, that doesn't work for me. 
Yeah, it's well said. And, you know, I, I feel like we could do a, a full podcast just on this topic alone because there's so many different different levels uh, to this. I, I think one thing that when you kind of say people just want the opportunity, I, I feel as if in this particular situation, because I've seen and read some of the, the pushback that like uh, Joe Cowley has reported today that the Bulls tried to interview a couple of minority candidates, but they were denied access to the candidate. Um, and I guess my retort to their retort, because Joe is getting that from somebody, um, the retort to that would be, you know, there's more than one or two options, right? right. Like, like it's not, it, it's not that um, the reason people are upset is because, well, you, you tried to interview one or two, and you couldn't do it. So we moved on to a bunch of, like, the problem is they started moving on to Brian Colangelo. Oh, my God. They started moving on to Danny Ferry. Like, that's the problem here. The problem is, yeah, you tried and you, you didn't, you didn't be, you were not able to interview the one or two minority candidates you wanted to at first. The problem is there are probably a whole bunch of different options that go, what? 15 deep uh, who are eligible candidates that you passed up to interview a Brian Colangelo and his wife and his burner accounts. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like that to me is a, a flaw in the whole conversation is saying that you, you tried, but you didn't. So give us, so cut us some slack is still not good enough because you just labeled off four different na- three or four different names. I gave you four names, all good, strong candidates. It, there are more than one in, one or two options, and I think that's where you get to the whole conversation of your point of just getting in the room is so important because if you read the articles about Arturis Karnasovas and why he is such a good candidate right now, Many of the articles point to he was in interviews for the Brooklyn Nets job. He interviewed for the Milwaukee Bucks job. Mm -hmm. He interviewed for gigs and he didn't get them. But word spread around the league that he was a great interview and he just wasn't right for that job. You see what I'm saying? So, like, if more minority candidates had an opportunity to get those interviews, then maybe the next time a job opens – the hot name is, hey, you know who interviewed for that Bulls gig, but he didn't get it? It's this individual. You know what I'm saying? Like, like to me, it, it's, it's such a larger issue, and I, I hate that there's the pushback now that, no, 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 we did our part. We tried to interview one or two or three or four. Well, guess what? There's a whole bunch of great options. The league is 75% black. So, I mean, listen, there, there are great options all over the place. You just have to go and interview those people. It also shows how small the Bulls are in that regard, too, right? We've always thought that they've been a kind of a mom-and-pop shop. So you mean you don't know who Tayshawn Prince is? You don't know who D. Brown is? You, you don't know, right. you know, well, you, you don't you don't know who Malik Rose or Rod Higgins is. Rod Higgins is the vice president of basketball operations for the Atlanta yeah. Hawks. You don't want to talk to him? All right, cool. That's fine. But just but understand that it, it, it uh, this goes back to what I was talking about as far as perception, Chris. Like, you have to un- understand the league is watching you. 
<laughs> right? right? So 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 the players and the agents they all see this, and so you want to be able to be open to everything, open to new ideas. You want to make a change, right? No more guard, no more packs. So no, you want to be able to open up a, a full spectrum of different ideas. And if people see that you are forward thinking enough to be able to at least hire, uh, if not hire, interview a minority candidate, then again, that's uh, a step in the right direction, a, a green check mark in your direction as an organization. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, as a Bulls fan and someone who wants them to be great again, I, I guess my my other um, thought with all of this is the reason I would like them to be interviewing all possible candidates is because hopefully then you get the very best possible candidate for the position. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's not a socialist, uh, social issue that I'm trying to crusade or that you are trying to crusade. No. We both want them to hire the best possible person, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think sometimes when you step outside your comfort zone, you, you may open your eyes to uh, a new way of thinking, a, a individual who has the charisma or the work ethic or the ability to mesh with individuals and to get the job done. And so I, I think um, hopefully Karnasovic is a great hire. Hopefully he hires someone who maybe has a broader scope uh, around the league. And then the Bulls can use that to their advantage to then turn that into victories. You know, hopefully like this is a storyline that's only a storyline right now until they hire Michael Finley until they hire uh, someone else who is just the best possible GM and does a great job. You know, aren't you missing in the league? Aren't you missing basketball? No, I am. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. But, you know, I, can I – do you have uh, 30 seconds for, for a non-Bulls uh, hire thought? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I view the challenge of um, doing shows and talking about sports with no sports to be invigorating. I think it's uh, – I think you and I are the type of people that see it as a creative opportunity and – I've had a a lot of fun trying to come up with new angles, different takes and uh, different thoughts to kind of propel shows along. I I miss the NBA, but I don't feel like we're really missing anything to then um, that's like taking away from our content. No, any boob can break down a box score. Yeah. (laughs) But but, oh yeah. (laughs) Right. So, so from from my standpoint, there's still storylines, even though there are no games, and it's okay because now I could be able to kind of stretch out and do some things that I probably wouldn't do longer form interviews um, that I wouldn't be able to do normally because we have constraints of the clock. So for me, uh, it's business as usual. Nothing has really changed, even though there's no sports. Yeah. There's still storylines, and there's there's a deep dive into the Chicago sports and national sports scene of, uh, of certain topics that we can get into. So now I, I, even though I, I do miss the NBA, cause we, I think that you and I do a great job of covering the league. Um, bottom line is, is that it's about my health and your health and our listeners health first before we can even talk about any games taking place, uh, outside of our homes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been, there's a lot to talk about too. And, you know, uh, especially with the NFL draft 
that's going to take place. Like until we get to the draft, there is always something in the background that kind of push that's actually relevant going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've found it extremely interesting the last couple of weeks. Um, so what happened to the Sam Presti rumors? Is he still coming to the Bulls or <laughs> for the love of the pod? With Chris Black, Jonathan Hood with you. Don't forget to follow along on Instagram <laughs> at C Black and at IGJ Hood. And if the league does return or if there's other major stories, of course, we'll give them to you right here on the Love of the Pod. For Chris, I'm Jonathan. Thanks so much for listening to for the Love of the Pod right here on the ESPN Chicago app. Good night, everybody. So long, Chris. Many storylines to kind of carry us through, right, Jonathan? So long, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>